welcome to Bestie Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined in Studio 2 today by Christina Podner. Hi, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, uh, for being on the show today. Um, for those of you who wouldn't uh, know Christina yet, Christina is the founder of Native Trust uh, Consulting. So you're very welcome, Christina. And uh, without further ado, let's move on, get on to the show. That's great. Uh, Christina, again, thanks so much for joining us today. I know you're very busy and uh, you're speaking at various events recently. Uh, obviously, you know, our conferences uh, now are moved online, but I understand that includes Brand to Global, but also Lock Worldwide. Mm -hmm. Uh, coming up on July 28th to the 30th. So what would be the topic of your presentation at Lockword? I'm talking very much um, around the fact that digital marketers at this point in time are facing new challenges in a very global environment. And what they need to do is set up a set of what I call guardrails or digital policies. And so really those are the things that keep us safe and keep us working within whether it's legal or regulatory requirements or just industry best practices, while at the same time ensuring that we have a lot of space for creativity and innovation and we don't always have to go back and sort of rework the ingredients for our famous recipe to get digital marketing right. And so that's the message and I hope that folks are ready to hear it because I myself feel like we're at the dawn of a new age and it's the right time. Absolutely, yes. Well, thank you so much indeed, and we look forward to your presentation at Lockwood, and I'm sure everybody is. So, um, so now, uh, for our audience who wouldn't know you yet, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I understand you study project management and international business. I did. I actually have my MBA in international business, and I focused on Asia. Um, so really love sort of the global nature of digital and business, and I love those two things coming together. My background really is a little bit varied. I started off my career as a project manager in the dot-com space, which meant that I was writing CGI scripts, setting up databases, cutting up graphics, creating HTML or coding cold fusion, if you remember those days. Um, and I moved on into testing. I learned, uh, you know, project management. And what I started to see is that there are such opportunities, regardless of whether we're creating websites or if we're doing social media, if we're doing applications. And I noticed that we were making these faux pas online that we weren't intentionally doing. But again, it came back to this thing over and over again that we didn't have these guardrails to keep us safe while we were also trying to be very creative in terms of what we were doing. And so my background with my MBA, with my PMP, with my change management degree, brought me really into the space of working on digital policy, which is where I am today. Makes sense. Thank you so much. Um, so, um, so indeed you have, um, you've, um, you, you got experience, you, you learn really, if I may say, um, um, different skills and you've held various roles then, uh, including in information technology or organizations, a number of them. Can you tell us a little bit about your role and the organization itself? Absolutely. So all the organizations that you named and other folks that I've actually worked with, what they're really interested in is achieving high digital integrity and balancing that out with business investments. So everybody wants to know how do we invest in digital, lower our risk, but also increase our opportunities. And so all of that requires having sound sort of, you know, again, guardrails in place, right? You want to make sure that you're not taking on the types of risks that the business shouldn't be taking on, whether it's from a regulatory and legal perspective, or more often it's about the brand. It's about 
If we go into a new market, are we resonating with users in a one-to-one -one way that users expect? Or are we taking on risks and possibly doing something that's not culturally appropriate or that's not sort of a norm in that specific marketplace? And so for every business that's operating, they really are trying to increase that integrity, make sure that they are known globally in terms of their brand, in terms of their reputation, engage the users while also minimizing all of the risks that come with that. And that's really what all of those organizations have in common. My role, of course, is advisor and enabler. And so I very much see myself as coming in and helping to stand up a program, but one that's very doable and that organizations are continually evolving and living and breathing and incorporating into what they do. And I'll just take a moment and tell you one of the things that I oftentimes see, which I'm delighted that a lot of my clients say, no, we're not going to do this uh, bad practice, but people create these policies and the notion is maybe they're 10 to 12 pages long, legal or somebody else like the CMO has to sign off and then they get put up on SharePoint or somewhere on the internet as a PDF and nobody ever looks at them again. And so all of these organizations have one thing in common, which is they actually want to enable their workforce. They want to enable their digital workers. And what they don't want to do is create what I call shelfware. They're really trying to get to the point where we're doing the right thing, but we're doing it because it makes sense. It's intuitive. It's explained. People know how to apply those policies and then they can just run as fast as they need to in order to get their marketing job done. Thank you very much. Yes. So um, I suppose that would be the common denominator for all of them really in trying to in achieving um, efficient digital policies. And some of them include um, Canon, Delta, Intel, um, Semantic, Toyota, Verizon, and also UNICEF. That's fantastic. Yes, I think a lot of organizations are starting to understand that where they have been historically isn't the right place where they want to be going forward. And so they're really trying to position themselves to where we are today and also where we want to be for years to come. And I would say definitely you're seeing that across verticals, which is what the list of organizations you just pointed to, I think, shows. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. And um, you're... Um, you, I mean, you're involved in so many different activities, and one of them is um, uh, books. You're the author of The Power of Digital Policy. Uh, that is that the one that I can see right behind you? Yes, it's standing right there behind me. I will grab you to show you the cover. It's uh, that's the book. And uh, yeah, I do recognize it. Really nice cover. Thank you. Yeah, it was a few years in the making. Yes, no, I mean, uh, I um, to, just to give our audience a little bit of a background. Um, I understand that uh, the guide will help you identify the issues and topics that impact you, your legal and regularly, uh, regulatory compliance, as well as uh, protect the organization from brand degradation and reputational threats. It also helps you understand how to address them in a practical way that doesn't require an army of consultants. I like it. <laughs> so can you, can you uh, tell us you know, a little bit about the book? The Absolutely. So you know, this is where I got to practice my own advice because uh, originally I sat down and I wrote the um, manuscript or, or the book itself in six months. And then I gave myself a pat on the back and I said, what a great job I've done. And then I thought, wait, I think we need to actually work with a content strategist here and really kind of think through the user experience and what am I actually doing for the reader? And so this lovely woman that I worked with said, you know what, do you want people to use this book? Because if so, we should probably go back and rewrite it. <laughs> and so I did. I rewrote the book and the reason that I rewrote the book is I really want it to be a guide. I don't want it to be an academic piece. It's not intended to be a course long at a local university. It's about being a handbook that everybody can carry around and say, look, 
I'm a small business, yeah. but maybe I'm at the point where I have some policies established. What do I need to think about or worry about? Or perhaps I'm a large multinational that's looking to go put up a new market, perhaps in Indonesia. What are the things I should be thinking about? Or how do we make this work? And so I really wanted this to be a step-by-step -step guide that helps you understand not just the policies. The policies are easy once you have a program in place and once you have the right responsibilities and the roles defined. And so I tried to do that in a very lighthearted tone, something where you can read the initial few chapters, get an understanding of how things should work, and then basically carry this around in references as you need to throughout your career. Very handy indeed. <laughs> Thank you Thanks. so much. And um, um, so to come back on really um, helping um, businesses, you know, um, um, achieve successful uh, digital policies. So in an article uh, featured in, in our VTQ magazine, you discussed protecting global brand integrity. So, so important, especially at the moment, but in general in the digital edge and how the critical components of a successful global content framework should originate in the C-suite. So what are they? Can you explain this a little bit for our audience today? Absolutely. So if you think about the board of directors and if you think about the C-suite, these are folks who understand business, which is great. You want people in those roles that understand business. Unfortunately, they don't understand digital and they don't understand necessarily the opportunities that come with digital and they don't understand the risk. And so it's really important that at the either the board of directors or the C-suite or both, there's a recognition that digital as a channel, whether it be, again, a website, social media, mobile apps, um, if you're doing chatbots, AI, whatever digital channels you're choosing to use in support of your business, whether it's marketing, product development, et cetera, you need to actually educate the C-suite around what are the benefits at a high level and what are the risks. And so because they have this fiduciary duty, right, at the end of the day, C-suite um, individuals are there to make sure that the business achieves its goal and it makes its money. Right. And that's really all that risk and opportunity are is the balance of how much are you possibly going to earn and how much are you willing to put out and how much are you willing to take on as a risk in order to achieve that reward. And so I think for them, it's not important to know which data localization laws are out there or what data uh, protection policies need to be thought about. What they need to think about are, A, there's a risk to digital. Let's put somebody in charge of that. And then they need to delegate that authority to somebody further down who is a digital person and who has the understanding and the background and the knowledge to put together this program that is going to balance out those risks and opportunities. The other thing that C-suite needs to do is hold that person or that team that they put together um, in charge of digital policies. They need to not only delegate authority, they also need to actually ask for accountability. So the question is, if I'm giving you the power to set up a policy program, what is that doing for me? What is that doing for the business? Are you offsetting risks? Are you able to ensure integrity in a new market? Perhaps we need to um, you know, enter, like I said, Indonesia, or perhaps we're trying to expand into Ukraine, Russia. We're trying to go to South America. We're, whatever we're doing, are we getting value for the money that we're investing? And are we seeing the right rates of return on investment? And that's the kind of question that the C-suite needs to be asking. And it's the kind of conversations that we need to be having coming up from the policy level. And unfortunately, historically, what we see is that compliance has tried to play that role, or perhaps legal departments have tried to play that role, and they tend to skew the input. They tend to send up the wrong messages. You know, it's almost like the CIO um, coming to the board of directors or to the C-suite and saying, 
we have this huge security issue because of ISO 9000. Mm -hmm. They don't know what to do about that. Yeah. But if we talk about it in terms of, hey, we need to invest another million dollars. We need to train our workforce so we don't have a data breach because a data breach doesn't just result in X amount of money in damages. It results in downtime for the business and it rolls back on our brand and our reputation. And so we need to get those two sides talking to each other. They need to be talking in a common language. And we need to actually have that C-suite that, again, is delegating the authority, looking for responsibility and regular reporting, and ensuring the program has operationalized within the organization and we're just not paying lip service as oftentimes happens. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, especially um, 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 important at the moment, I may say, with um, yes. everyone working from home, all companies are having to be aware of um, how to uh, make sure that um, uh, their network uh, is, is safe. Um, Forbes magazine states that many companies are hesitant to invest in digital transformation without knowing if the investment will pay off that you mentioned. And when done strategically, um, however, when uh, done strategically, of course, digital transformation can improve stock prices and revenue in the long run, which makes sense. So um, have you noticed, you, you're talking about the importance of um, educating the C-suite and, you know, and hiring um, uh, hiring individuals who uh, would be working on this specifically. Have you noticed any changes in the past five years in the way that uh, global organizations are digital transformation in that sense? And that led to particularly successful outcomes. Absolutely. I'm seeing this every day and it's really exciting actually because I work with multinationals, but I also get the chance to work with some small businesses. Yeah. And I've been talking a lot about how multinationals are transforming. And of course, at that scale, it's harder to turn the ship because we have so many people that we have to coordinate, but it's easier because the resources are there. Smaller businesses, of course, have fewer resources, but they also have fewer people, so it makes it easier to turn. And so I've seen this successfully done in both environments. I've seen multinationals take on additional risk because they're able to put sound guardrails in place. And it's been great. One of the things that I wrote about last year that was really wonderful is I saw a pharma and you know the pharmaceutical and life sciences business is so hard to change that's probably where digital transformation is the hardest and this organization said look it's taking us 21 days to get content approved and out the door not a big deal when you have a new medical product coming out because medical products go through years of regulatory reviews you tend to have advanced notice so 21 days to approve content isn't a big deal but when we live in the you know, world of COVID-19 and you want to get information out about COVID-19, you can't wait 21 days, right? I mean, by the time that you kind of get your content out, it's irrelevant. And so this organization set up a chatbot. And what we ended up doing is we created policies, a set of policies around what had to be done and how to get it done and what should never be done. And we started testing basically marketers having access to a chatbot where at the very beginning where of a thought or idea or a campaign they could say what are the things that i really need to do or not do in order to get this content out immediately and they're actually presented with a checklist and it's based on where they're located in the world who they are what role they're in which we know of course because they're logged into the network and then they tell us things like are they collecting information through this campaign, right? I mean, is it a one way, like a website feed? Or are we asking people to sign up? Um, is it social media involvement? Does it target children? Um, and then we also ask about things like, how long is this campaign going to be live? 
Based on that, we can give individuals a wonderful checklist that helps them decide what they have to do internally. So for example, in the life sciences space, rather than go through and have an individual looking at screenshots of content or having to read everything, we certify up front that they're compliant with all the content and we provide screenshots as the campaign is developed. And so all of a sudden, content doesn't take 21 days to review, it takes three days to review. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big deal when you're talking about a pandemic around the world. And so that's a great example of a digital transformation. It doesn't have to be life altering, but it does make a difference in terms of speed to market in terms of content. It makes um, content more relevant and more um, appropriate for local audiences. And it also ensures that there's not as much liability while at the same time, of course, speed to market counts. Thank you so much. Um, and um, you, you just mentioned, of course, uh, COVID-19, which is unfortunately impacting um, many of us all around the world. Um, so um, um, in, in several recent blog posts you've published on your website, kbodner.com, uh, you've mentioned the importance of broadening the scope of discussions to include other situations that may require change in digital policies, such as uh, changes in technology. So um, with many organizations having to adapt, obviously, due to the circumstances, uh, the way that they do business and move from a physical home to uh, a home office such as ourselves, for instance, um, what advice would you have for companies looking to implement changes um, in their digital policies? Because obviously that changes a lot in the new era that we call now the new normal. Well, I think, first of all, we all have to recognize that none of us are as smart as we think we are. Five months ago, none of us would have put at the top of our risk list something like global pandemic that shuts down business and makes us work from home, right? I couldn't envision that and you couldn't either. But the point of the series of blogs that I've actually posted is to say what you need to do is have this policy program in place and then you need to think about what kinds of triggers are you listening to to update policies. So while we didn't necessarily know a pandemic was coming, we know that something's always coming, whether it's the next big hurricane, whether it's a famine in Africa, whether it's you know, some kind of pandemic like we're living now, maybe there's a disruption coming around the corner because there's new technologies that we haven't even thought of yet. Something new is always coming. The business might need to be acquired. There might be a merger coming ahead. So what really is constant, and this is such a cliche, what is constant is change, right? The difference is, is, are we listening to the cues around change so that we can react quickly and we know how to react? And that's really what a sound policy program does. For some of my clients, they couldn't have seen the pandemic coming. But very early on, when Wuhan shut down, they immediately said, oh, maybe we need to think about, maybe we need to think about not just Wuhan, right, because they're going to be remotely working, for a while, we need to think about how our people, even if they are in the office, interact or pick up additional work that the Wuhan team couldn't have. How can yeah. we actually make sure that we can live with that? And so they weren't ready for a pandemic, but they were already starting to think about, do we have all the data in the cloud? Do we understand who's working from home? Do they have their laptops with them? Are the machines they're working on secure? Um, if they are not going to be in the office, do their customers know that? How do we relay information to our prospects? Is it okay to say, look, there is something really sort of happening out here that we can't control and we're not going to be as fast to respond to you? Or perhaps we decide that, you know what, this is a tragedy for humankind 
let's take a back seat for a moment with our marketing and let's talk about what we can be doing. And maybe marketing isn't the right thing right now. Maybe we need to be thinking about our callings in Wuhan and subsequently even colleagues around the world. And what can we be doing to help them out at this time? And then we can return to business as quote unquote normal when we're all ready to do so together. So, you know, having policies in place helps you respond to things. It doesn't mean you're going to catch everything up front. It just means that you're gonna hear the triggers early. And when you sense that something could be happening, you're going to be able to react to that and react appropriately. And I think that that's really key. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely right. Um, really key considering that um, the, the pandemic could last for, you know, who knows, a good few months, unfortunately, and hopefully not, but um, uh, could be the key to um, uh, a business um, um, survival, if I may say. <laughs> and, you know, you're absolutely right. And it's not just a pandemic, right? We are in a pandemic, but the pandemic, as we've seen, is triggering other things in terms of social justice in the United States. I mean, you know, it's always been there, but you know, and we've always had issues, but now in terms of what we're seeing, I think in terms of the pandemic, it exasperates a lot of underlying questions and brings to the surface things that have been there for a while. And so there's the opportunity, not just for the pandemic to be happening, but also a lot of things in the background. People are more inclined to understand things about their privacy, for example, because now the business isn't just someplace I go to, right? The business is in my home. You know, you're seeing photos of my child. You're maybe seeing my husband walk around, um, you know, in his robe. Those are things that weren't happening in the business place before. And so I think it draws into question a lot of things like what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, how do we work? And is this space my home or is it an extension of work? And you've seen that not just in terms of the types of policies we have for working remotely, you know, you saw definitely over the weekend, the entire situation with TikTok and Amazon asking individuals, even if they were using a private device, to, to remove, remove TikTok if their email was on that device. And so, you know, a lot of shifts as a result of the pandemic and putting pressures on areas that we're not used to putting pressures on. And I think businesses need to proactively be getting ahead of that, right? Because we no longer live in an era where you can be reactive, either from a marketing perspective, nor from an employee perspective. Thank you so much, absolutely. And um, so we're speaking of like um, the, um, the potential, the next few months where the pandemic might still be here and even next year per se, mm -hmm. hopefully it's not the case, of course. What changes do you see, um, what changes would you see coming along the way with such uncertainty and the, the changes that uh, companies operate in the way that they do business and even the, any individual's um, way of, um, of um, being online really of handling all the information everything that yeah any users behavior really yeah so we're definitely seeing an increase in user awareness around privacy and people immediately think oh that means that you can't collect any data or users don't want to give you your their data that's not the case i think what we're seeing and we're going to see more of is users wanting something if they're going to give you their data so for example you know i understand that Google has my information because I have a Google device on my second floor of my home. I have an Apple HomePod down here, but that's okay because it keeps me on time for all of my meetings. It helps me understand what I need to purchase the next time I go to the grocery store. It helps me connect with my child when he's not at home. It makes me realize that he's gone out of his geofencing location 
um, if he's not home in a specific time so I know exactly where he is. And so that's a lot of personal data and that's okay because I'm getting good value in return. And that's really the direction that we're heading in. And COVID, because we're all at home or we're all limited in terms of what we can do, is making us realize how dependent we really are on digital. And I think for smart businesses, they're able to capitalize on that. Um, they're able to leverage that. And so, you know, I see that anywhere from the large, large organizations like Amazon all the way down to my local retailer. I have a woman who I buy eggs from at the market on Saturdays, and she stood up a portal where I can now order chickens as well. So if I want some chicken meat, I can actually yeah. order it ahead of time. She brings it to the market, and I pick it up at the same time as my eggs. And so it's interesting because all of a sudden you're seeing people cultivate one-on-one -on -one relationships with individuals that are much stronger. Before I think we paid lip service to it, but now it's a difference of, do I see food on my table or do I not? Is it something that really is highly valuable to me or not? And that's where businesses I think can transform. They can pivot and they can pivot in really interesting ways that we haven't even thought about before. But again, I think understanding what are the risks and the opportunities is critical. And you know, I'll, I'll give you this example. I don't know if you have this in your neighborhood or not, uh, but in my neighborhood, uh, DoorDash is really big. And so I don't know if you use DoorDash or not, but it's uh, food delivery. It's food okay. delivery from restaurants. And um, it's interesting because DoorDash charges a fee to restaurants yes. to deliver the food to whoever they're delivering it to. And they also can charge the end user fee and that's how they make their money. Mm -hmm. And so I have two restaurants that we've ordered from in the past and the experience with DoorDash hasn't been that great. What the businesses both did right is they reached out to me and said, how happy are you with this DoorDash delivery? And I thought, you know, no. not really. It's just not a good experience. I mean, it's lovely, but convenient wise, but I don't have a relationship with DoorDash, whereas I really like the people who own the Thai restaurant. Yeah. So now what they've done is every week, you can actually tap into their Instagram and they'll actually give a discount or they'll give an incentive for you coming to pick up your own food. They give either a free appetizer or they'll give um, you know, a discount on your total order. And what they've done is created a better relationship with me. They've created a way to ensure that the quality of that relationship is really high enough to their standards and they've made me a happy customer. What they've also done is started to use digital in a way that brings me closer to them. So in the coming year, if things do go back to quote unquote normal, if we do go back to eating in restaurants, I still have a really strong relationship with them and they're going to be able to count on me as a customer. Absolutely. And so it's interesting, right? Because you're seeing even traditional businesses disrupt disruptors. And I think you're going to see a lot more of that opportunity come in the next year for the businesses that are ready to take that on. This is here to, yeah, to stay basically. This is, yeah, this is a new, a new way of doing things. Yeah, that's here to stay for sure. Yes, no, absolutely. I think we've all seen this uh, while being uh, on lockdown, um, like most of us. And uh, for sure, definitely, it is very interesting to see what, what you're likely to purchase that you wouldn't have in the past online now. Thank you so much. And uh, is there anything else that you, um, you'd like to share with our audience today? Any specific project you'd be working on? Any new initiatives or just a message really to anyone out there? So, you know, one of the things that I've been doing is talking a lot more to small businesses recently. And small businesses is relevant. 
Um, I have a business that I work with in the United States that has 20 employees, which I would consider small, but they operate in every country around the world with the exception of Cuba and Iran. Okay. Right. So we can kind of discuss whether they're a small business or not. They're a global business. And I think, you know, we're living in an era where being a global business means understanding your place. And it's a lot more than just pushing a product and it's more than pricing and it's more than just sort of the message. And so what I'd really like to do is invite everybody to think about the opportunity, whether it's because of COVID, whether it's because of digital changing, whether it's just new opportunities, because we have them. We're in a global marketplace, as cliche as that sounds, but you're only in a global marketplace if you can connect with that end user and get them to buy in to what message you have. And I think it's an opportunity to become more than just a business. I think it's really a trusted partner. It's somebody who brings value. It's somebody who connects in a way that resonates. And I think this is the time to kind of move into that space and start to own it inside of your organization. If you've been reluctant, if you've been very risk averse in the past, now's the time to look at that and say, is there an opportunity to loosening those grips a little bit on the risk front if we have these guardrails in place to protect us? And if the answer is yes, then let's go for it. Let's kind of do something maybe slightly differently. Let's do something that's an opportunity. And if your business has been keeping up, make sure that you're positioning yourself well to keep at it because you can't rest on your laurels. This is not the time for that. And so I really just invite people to, you know, very much like you and I, continue being at it and don't let yourself take a break because you need to persevere, whether you're a marketer or if you're somebody working in a local market, doing that last touch point with a customer or prospect, you just really need to make it count. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Um, so it is unfortunately already the end of today's show with Christina. <laughs> it's been so much fun. Thanks for having me. No, it was fantastic. So interesting. And, uh, and uh, so uh, again, uh, Christina is the founder of Nature Structure Consulting. So uh, please make sure to tune in again to see or um, listen to the next Vista Talk show. Uh, with, uh, we'll be discussing more interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you.